Hello, dear friends. It is shadow control. In our previous episodes, we heard the stories of eyewitnesses who had faced manifestations of the invisible world in their lives. In this episode, we will talk to an expert, hear her opinion, and find out what official science says about this phenomenon. Today we are in touch with psychiatrist, psychotherapist Diana Olenek. Hello, Diana. Greetings. We asked her to expand on this topic and tell us how it is all studied in psychology and psychiatry, how it is classified and what it is related to. Diana, please, tell us what psychology knows about this. The thing is that the state which you describe, what people are facing, in the first episode of Shadow Control, is known to science as sleep paralysis. And actually, not psychiatrists, but rather somnologists deal with this issue. That is, specialists who study disorders and ways to treat these problems. Because sleep paralysis refers to one of the types of sleep disorders. What kind of condition is this? It's a state characterized by temporary paralysis with preserved consciousness. And it usually occurs when we either fall asleep or wake up. This condition is accompanied by complex hallucinations and very intense fear. Let me explain what complex hallucinations are. These are hallucinations when several analyzers are involved simultaneously. Visual, auditory, and tactile hallucinations. Their content seems to recreate a holistic picture of what a person currently sees and imagines. Well, for example, how does this happen with sleep paralysis? The content of these hallucinations, according to all people who talk about it, is the same. For example, they see a creature that tries to affect them physically. As a rule, it's a dark silhouette. It can be a silhouette of a man or a woman or some vague shape or several silhouettes in the room, but people see them. They hear sounds, breathing, and they hear squeaking of their bed because the content of these hallucinations. Well, this creature has a kind of physical effect on a person with sexual inclination. So people hear corresponding sounds, such as squeaking of the bed and feel the bed moving. Bed linen can, for instance, a blanket is being pulled off a person and people feel that they are being touched. And a lot of them are painful and clearly correspond to the content of what this creature is doing. This is called a complex hallucination, a whole complex. Moreover, these hallucinations are very realistic. In our classification, we took from the sources that are available today. There are incubi. These are usually male creatures, characterized by the fact that they have a suffocating impact on a person. Not only suffocating, but also sexual, if it's a girl. It depends on the gender. And there are succubi. A succubus is a female creature who has sexual intercourse with a man. Thus, sleep paralysis only refers to incubi, meaning those creatures that have a physical suffocating effect. But if we deal with sexual matters, how is that classified in psychology? 
The thing is that it's not defined. Let me put some more emphasis on it to make it clear. Such patients end up at psychotherapists, not even psychotherapists, but psychiatrists. Not because of the situation itself, but rather because of its consequences. The consequences of the horror and intense fear which people are experiencing. Look at what is happening. On the one hand, a person experiences such hallucinations, complex hallucinations. Hallucinations and psychiatry are a sign of pathology. In other words, this condition should be regarded as some kind of disease that has to be treated. But there is no sleep paralysis in the international classification. It is mentioned in the structure of narcolepsy, but not by accident either. I will now explain these two concepts. Narcolepsy is a neurological disorder that manifests as sudden attacks of daytime sleepiness. A person is participating in a meeting. He must be serious, respectable, and listen to everything. But suddenly he completely shuts down and falls asleep. Moreover, these states, these episodes, are often accompanied by cataplexy, a loss of muscle tone. This is very dangerous and scary because, for example, while sitting or eating, a person may suddenly have such a sleepy attack with a decline in muscle tone and he just falls. Or he can fall asleep while walking or simply fall down. He can fall asleep while driving a car. In other words, these are quite dangerous states, but actually... Also, you see, it's interesting that this was associated with a loss of muscle tone. But the thing is that narcolepsy is not so widespread. Let's say not so many people suffer from it. Even if we take a selection of studies that were conducted, one of these studies covered 90,000 people. It's a very large selection. Therefore, to say that sleep paralysis only happens in narcolepsy... By the way, the only mention of sleep paralysis in the International Classification of Diseases is in the structure of narcolepsy. It mentions that this disease is always accompanied by attacks of sleep paralysis. So, sleep paralysis is not even considered to be an official, let's say, recognized disease. It's not officially recognized, is it? It's not. Some specialists believe that it's necessary to do this, that we should consider sleep paralysis a disease and study this phenomenon seriously. But it's only some specialists. However, officially, in the international classification of diseases, this condition is not present. There is only the narcolepsy syndrome. In other words, most experts believe that sleep paralysis is a normal psychological reaction in one's body, a kind of protection given to a person because sleep paralysis is associated with a malfunction in the phase of REM sleep. It's a phase where there is very high brain activity. At the same time, it is accompanied by a loss or significant decrease in muscle tone, primarily of the skeletal muscles. It's exactly the phase in which people see all these vivid dreams. Many comment that these dreams often have a threatening, intimidating character. We often run away, escape from someone, we can fight or jump out of a window, anything can happen. Hence, in order to somehow protect a person, nature sort of gives us such a protective mechanism so that we don't implement these actions in our dreams, everything that we dream. That's what sleep paralysis is for. So, it turns out, Diana, if I got it correctly, that according to these specialists, in order for us not to fall out of the window and hurt ourselves in sleep, we are given this mechanism that suffocates us. Sometimes even there are some traces on our body, and we feel terrible fear, wake up broken and devastated. Yet, in sleep we haven't smashed, right? Do I understand the logic of these specialists correctly? 
You know, not to be groundless, let me cite statements of somnology experts in this regard. What do they say about it? It is considered that the cause of development of sleep paralysis is a recently discovered ability of the brain to be asleep and awake at the same time. Thus, when most of the brain is already awake, the cerebral regions which inhibit the muscle tone during sleep and dreams continue sleeping. Moreover, the head of the Center of Sleep Medicine believes that even a reoccurrent sleep paralysis may be just a separate symptom that absolutely doesn't influence the quality or duration of human life. And this, of course, sounds paradoxical. To be honest, when I was reading it and looking into this subject in general, I was once again reading comments of the leading experts in the field. I came up with numerous questions myself, Vilchin. For example, okay, even if we assume that there is such a defense mechanism, there cannot be paralysis of respiratory muscles, right? Otherwise, a person would die. But patients with sleep paralysis complain that after opening their eyes, say a person is already awake, in fact, consciousness is secure, and we mention this, consciousness is active. A person opens his eyes, but he cannot inhale. It's very difficult for him to breathe. What does this indicate? Does he really have paralysis of respiratory muscles? That's absurd. In the International Classification of Diseases, there is such a condition as nightmares. It is identified in a separate nosology. What is it? During the phase of REM sleep, when sleep paralysis arises and develops, a specialist believe a person has terrifying dreams. However, the person starts screaming and calling for help, and he has motor uneasiness. He jumps from his bed and tries to run out of the room. I mean, these are the same terrifying dreams as specialists believe, but they are accompanied by totally different actions. So where is the paralysis? Why does it work in this case and doesn't work in another? Those are very scary dreams, nightmares. There is a paradox, a discord here. Look what neurobiologists say. In such a frightening situation, the human brain is trying to interpret what is happening to a person. That is, a person opens his eyes and understands that he is motionless. Thus, a very strong fear arises in him, and his brain begins to draw all the most fearful stories and hallucinations, including those about succubi and incubi. So these are just fantasies as a response reaction of our brain to what the body is experiencing. Do I get their point of view correctly? Yes, exactly. These are the comments of neurobiologists. Isn't this a reverse process? I just want to understand. That's what I want to say as well. Absolutely right. You've got it absolutely right. You see, this confusion exists not just among neurobiologists, but also psychologists and psychiatrists. If you open many textbooks and monographs in this very psychiatry, you won't find a clear correlation. You can often find such comments that a person experiences certain emotions and because of this emotion, certain thoughts come to his mind. Do you see what happens? As of today, science doesn't provide any kind of laid-out steps how a person's actions really form. Let's imagine. Let's just walk through it. I open my eyes. A person opens his eyes and understands that he cannot move. How does he understand that? After all, in order for him to understand it, at least a command should come. I mean, a message in his head should sound. His hand doesn't move because the body, everything that is happening to him. How do we understand this? 
When we hear in our head, I cannot lift my hand, but for this, there should firstly be a command to lift the hand, a command from consciousness, right? In the same way, when I am scared, what does it mean? Fear arises. In order for fear to arise, I should either see a scary image or hear a frightening thought. Fear is an emotion that arises due to some reason, such as an image or a thought, or some information has come. And science does not provide this sequence. Therefore, there is constant confusion. And then such interpretations appear that the human brain simply produces these terrifying images. They try to explain it at least in any way. Basically, many scientists just say that, in fact, the state represents disynchronization between brain activity and, let's say, a person's motor activity, which lasts only several seconds, one or two minutes at most. You see, there is a decrease in muscle tone during both the phases of REM sleep and deep sleep. But it's not paralysis that can last for 10, 15, or even 20 minutes, in no way. Diana, I have a question in this regard. I also remember myself feeling the so-called sleep paralysis. I had an incident in my life while practicing sports. In my dream, I saw a picture of certain actions, and at the same time, I made a punch. I'm saying this to the point that in some cases of sleep paralysis, the body doesn't move, but in that case, there was a picture and my body moved. I really felt that. Are there any explanations or classifications for this? Why in some cases is a person motionless in sleep, while in other cases there is an action? No, there are no explanations for that. Look, I specifically gave two contrasting examples. Sleep paralysis, the most experts consider to be norm, and nightmares where the situation is completely different. It is active, there is an action, and there are screams. By the way, regarding screams, a person who sees nightmares screams and calls for help. He somehow shows it and produces sounds according to the content of the dream. Yet, what is characteristic for sleep paralysis? A person cannot utter a sound. He cannot even let out a squeak. Yes, that's the point. How does this happen? Because of the paralysis of laryngeal muscles, he cannot utter a sound. He cannot call for help. There are some Western scientists, somnologists, who do believe that sleep paralysis is a disease. It is associated with a temporary paralysis of skeletal muscles. What is the reason for that? Scientists cannot determine it yet. There are assumptions that it occurs due to malfunctions between sensory and motor centers in the brain. That's one of the assumptions. But in fact, there are no explanations for this state nowadays. Nonetheless, there are specialists who believe that it's a disease, and that state has to be dealt with. After all, the majority. Just imagine people's state, okay? Experts say it's a norm. On the other hand, they say hallucinations are a pathology. As a psychiatrist, I know that hallucinations are a sign of pathology. At the same time, I read a conclusion on sleep paralysis that a state accompanied by hallucinations isn't actually terrible. It refers almost to physiological norm, to defense mechanisms, and that's all. The only problem is that people are so ignorant that they don't know how these mechanisms of physiological sleep occur in them. But if they knew, 
they wouldn't be scared. Absurd comments, right? Absurd comments. But what should people do? It turns out that either these specialists themselves never faced this in their lives, or when patients convey their problem to specialists, there is a communication failure, and information reaches the specialists disjointedly, or they lack a comprehensive understanding of even an elementary cause-and-effect relation. I mean, not the reverse order of how everything is happening, but at least a scenario of how it actually occurs. Regarding how people address specialists, first of all, if we talk about statistics, they tried somehow to define statistics. Some say that about 7% of people have this condition. Others say that up to 50% of adults have such conditions, mostly between 15 and 30 years of age. There were very interesting studies. Anyway, those who think that something should be done about it, try to study the state. I found the result of such research a meta-analysis. A meta-analysis is when a certain number of studies are combined, that is, the result of these studies. The results of this meta-analysis were 42 studies, which were published between 1984 and 2016. What did they study? They tried to figure out, for example, the connection between sleep paralysis and insomnia, whether a person suffers from any form of insomnia, how long this person sleeps, and what his favorite sleep position is, because it is believed that only people who sleep on their backs have sleep paralysis. So, they ascertained what kind of somatic diseases and mental disorders a person suffers from. These studies included numerous parameters up to what a person's lifestyle is, what type of diet he has, what level of income, gender, nationality, place of residence, and so on. But what did they end up with? That there are two triggers or predisposing factors in people who most often experience sleep paralysis. These are insomnia and very high levels of stress that these people often experience. What is stress? It is a state of fear, a dominating state of fear. As for insomnia, we were going through it and had a video of this topic where we were discussing this condition. Insomnia is always accompanied by a very high level of anxiety, and one of the main factors contributing to the development of insomnia is again stress. I mean, again, fear. It turns out that fear is the basis of sleep paralysis, if we draw a conclusion from these studies. If we go back to statistics, nowadays, 90% of the world's adult population suffers from chronic stress. This statistic exists. Moreover, 60% of them experience acute stress one or two times a week, and 30% experience it every day. How do experts answer the question that during sleep paralysis, some injuries, bruises, and so on can appear on a person's body? What do they say about it? Tell us, please. This point is completely overlooked. It's the same question that I actually have. If it's a hallucination, where do bruises and abrasions appear from? In fact, there are examples of more severe physical impacts. For example, when women lose their virginity after such hallucinations. There are such stories people tell them. A young woman, being already married, said that she first experienced the visit of such a creature when she was 14 or 15 years old. 
It was completely crazy for her because she felt all this physical pain. When she tried to tell her mother the next day, the mother said she had to be taken to the psychiatrist urgently. The girl got scared and said, no, no, it was just a bad dream. In our society, the label of a mentally ill person is one of the most terrible and unbearable. A few years later, the girl grew up, started dating a young man, and they got married. On the first wedding night, it turned out that she wasn't a virgin. Her husband was outraged and said, So, you lied to me. She cried and said, No, I didn't lie. You're my first and only man. And the girl is terrified of how to tell him. She recalled her story in her mother's reaction, how to tell him that some creature, some monster, had sex with her at night, and as a result, she lost her virginity. Tragedy, right? But actually, there is such a fact. What should we do about it? That's my question too. Therefore, talking about hallucinations, you know, I guess here we closely approach the question, what is a hallucination? What is reality, in fact? I have such a feeling, I have an understanding now, that we don't know what reality is. To the same topic of the realism of these visits regarding the subject of sex with such creatures, both women and men describe that they experience orgasms. Men have ejaculation, and these are specific physiological processes. Afterwards, they complain that their mood and health worsen. Depression comes, and there are a lot of, let's say, factors which become a reality for them. So an illusion in which a person has been causes very serious consequences. Actually, sleep paralysis is a state that has been known for a long time. It is described in all cultures, among all nations. There are two researchers who specifically studied this phenomenon and its mentions among different peoples. They found more than 118 terms that characterize this condition, the visit of such a creature, among different peoples. What does this indicate? That in different times, different people in different cultures describe the same state, absolutely identical. And it is always associated with a visit of a demonic creature, an evil creature. If we summarize translations, how these names are translated, it will be either an evil witch, or an evil fairy, or an evil spirit, or an evil elf, or a genie, or a demon. There are plenty of such interpretations, but it is always some evil creature that comes. People had always talked about it. They knew this state and always associated with the tricks of demons, the devil. You know what else struck me when I read all these stories and listened to what people were talking about? Regardless of whether a person is an atheist or a believer, when he faces such a situation, he has no doubt what kind of phenomenon it is and whom it came from. He easily accepts such terms as the devil and demons. People exactly say, either the devil himself came or demons from the devil visited me. They easily accept it. It turns out that in such situations, Diana, it is so real that people can no longer deny it, right? Right. When I was reading those comments, they sort of surprised me. This means we know. This means we understand. We know that this does exist.
We receive letters from our participants and viewers who tell their stories about such visits. They often say that they turn to specialists, psychologists, and they couldn't help them. I have a question in this regard. Let's imagine a situation where we have a person who comes to a psychologist and says, I have such a phenomenon. How will they work with him further? I mean, how will they help him? What does official psychiatry recommend to people in such cases? Psychiatry will immediately diagnose that the person is hallucinating and will prescribe appropriate medications. What kind of drugs are those? Neuroleptics, if there are hallucinations. Mm -hmm. And what will they lead to? Since the state is depressive and there are sleep disorders, antidepressants and tranquilizers will be given because they affect the phases of sleep. Most people don't go to psychiatrists with this problem. They rather come with anxiety disorders or phobic disorders against the background of these conditions. I have read the comments of somnologists. It's not bad, the impact. Can you imagine the horror a person experiences? Even if a person experienced such a state once in his or her life, it never disappears without a trace. The person's further reaction, let's say, his or her readiness to experience a state of fear increases many times. It's not that he simply experienced this state of horror, woke up in the morning and he's fine. No, people describe that the very thoughts of this state are torturous. They think about it all the time and wait in horror of the next night. In other words, a person is always in a state of fear and anxiety, even more because of a lack of understanding of what is happening to him and whom he can ask for help. Because when he goes to many specialists, such as somnologists, they tell him, well, it's okay, what do they usually recommend? The same is in the case of insomnia. You should correct your sleep and wakefulness regime. Perhaps you should watch your diet. You shouldn't eat two hours before bed. You shouldn't two hours before bed drink alcohol, alcoholic beverages, or stimulants such as coffee. That is, engage in relaxation, take a walk before going to bed, and so on. And you know what the other problem is? People who share these stories say, I'm in fact basically normal. If it weren't for that horror at night, I would be just like everyone else. A lot of women tried to receive help from their husbands and said that, I have this, but the husband would say, so you are also depraved? Are you also crazy? Many husbands just turned around and left. And people understand that it's an inevitable verdict. Nobody believes them. Psychiatrists say, yes, you are really mentally inadequate. You are hallucinating. Take pills. People take pills, but they get worse. It doesn't help. People go to church, most often, by the way, when they realize that there is a devil. What do they do? They go to God. One of the most frequent and prevalent comments, what do people start doing in their sleep? Pray. Even those who never knew how to do that suddenly recall prayers. In other words, there is an appeal to the only force that can probably protect against this condition. Going to church doesn't help. You have told us about it, and I know many similar stories that confirm it. So what does a person do? He stays one-on-one -on -one with his problem. We know from the letters of our viewers that during sleep paralysis, the body and consciousness are so immobilized that people want to, but they cannot recall the words of prayer. They also shared that they remember all the prayers, many prayers, when they are awake. Night is coming, this creature appears, and paralysis occurs, and a person cannot remember the words of prayer. 
as if he never knew them. You know what else I was thinking while studying this topic? In fact, when they say that there is a state of stupor, they describe motor restlessness and some nightmares. Why does this paralysis actually occur? That's an interesting question. But I recalled, among other things, what is the reaction to fear in any animal and in a human in this state? It is either stupor, numbness, or some kind of motor agitation and escape. Action. Absolutely right. Well, in this case, there is neither of such things. I mean, a person cannot perform any action as such, whereas stupor, I wouldn't even call it stupor. I would call it some kind of numbness, like some sort of paralyzing poison. There are such poisonous creatures in nature. When their poison gets into a body, the victim is paralyzed. This is similar to that. And there's another point, since we've mentioned that people turn to the Church, according to viewers' letters and the information that we have found on the Internet, after psychologists, people really go to Church. But the result is the same, although the Church doesn't prescribe tranquilizers. Yes, exactly. There are rites of ecstasism and so on, but in fact, they don't help either. Moreover, there is also a point which we have already mentioned. There is a huge number of testimonies by priests themselves who cohabit with succubi for years. I emphasize, for years. It turns out that people who serve in the church have this problem themselves. So how can they help other people in that case? Elchin, I think psychiatrists, psychologists and somnologists have this problem as well. They just keep silent about it, prudently silent, right? I don't even have any doubt that it exists, but it's not voiced. And I've got such an association right now. Do you remember when we discussed the topic of maniacs? The victim also had some kind of paralysis. She didn't call for help either, knowing what would happen to her. She didn't try to escape the victim, I mean. If we go back to the mechanism of REM sleep phase and what predominates there, science says that it's a high activity of the brain. But thanks to the knowledge shared by Igor Mikhailovich Danilov, in particular thanks to the knowledge outlined in the video Consciousness and Personality from the Inevitably Dead to the Eternally Alive, where it is told what consciousness is, what primary and secondary consciousness are, who a human being is, what personality is, and how these structures interact with each other, it all becomes clear. Then, if we talk about the phase of REM sleep, which is actually associated with sleep paralysis, when there's high brain activity and a person sees vivid dreams, this is the dominant activity of secondary consciousness, because secondary consciousness manifests itself through images and thoughts. There's a high activity of secondary consciousness and suppressed activity of primary consciousness, the body is immobilized, all processes in the body are reduced. I mean, there is such a correlation. Now, why have I recalled the topic of maniacs? What happened when a person committed these terrible actions? Under the influence of alcohol, with a small dose of alcohol, no more than 50 grams, they always described that they drank a little alcohol first. It was the same state, high activity of secondary consciousness and reduced activity of primary consciousness. 
It turns out that this ratio of interaction between these two consciousnesses is like an entrance for the impact of a third force. And what did the maniacs themselves describe? I have no control over my body. I have no control over my state at all. They describe it as an entry of a certain force that use their body and themselves to perform those actions. Therefore, I naturally have such an analogy. Okay, but what if we take it in relation to the victim? You told us that the victim doesn't resist, or perhaps this state is akin to hypnosis. Or for example, when a boa or a snake hypnotizes a frog and the frog doesn't want to, but it crawls into its mouth. Could it be something similar? I also thought about that. Why? Because one of the moments when sleep paralysis arises, it arises in two states. When a person is falling asleep, there is a sort of drowsiness. It's the first phase of physiological sleep. In this phase, theta rhythms exactly prevail. Delta rhythms emerge, but theta rhythms prevail. And these theta rhythms are very interesting, brain activity in the form of theta rhythms. Most often, they are manifested in hypnotic states. This is called a twilight state of consciousness. Manifestations of the twilight state of consciousness are somnambulism, fugue states, and trance states. In these states, theta rhythms also prevail in the human brain. These are the states controlled by someone. Moreover, unlike a human, the controller knows very well how a human body is arranged, how consciousness works, and how these mechanisms interact. He really knows the subtleties of these mechanisms, which button to press and where, in order to break these mechanisms. I now have a very strong impression from, you know, if we compare the facts, how sleep paralysis is developing. I said it before, and now there is an understanding how this state emerges in maniacs and their victims, and not only. Also, when there is an alcohol addiction in particular, how suicides and many other things occur. By the way, hallucinations are also a very interesting phenomenon. There are so many paradoxes in science, which confuse specialists themselves, and as a result, people cannot figure this out. There are such concepts as hypnagogic and hypnopompic hallucinations. Specifically, sleep paralysis is sometimes also divided into hypnagogic and hypnopompic one. Therefore, there are hallucinations manifested when a person is falling asleep and when he is waking up. I say it once again, hallucinations are pathology. This is a statement adopted in psychiatry. Nevertheless, on these kinds of hallucinations, there are plenty of comments that it's actually a norm. Yet how can it be a norm if these hallucinations, for instance, are most often manifested in people who have a certain intoxication of the brain? Most often, it's an alcohol intoxication. When there's an alcohol intoxication of the brain, there most often arise such hallucinations as those during sleep paralysis. Generally speaking, there are many parallels and clues that should be linked together in order to understand this. But that, what it is, an influence, I personally have no doubt. An external influence. And I don't treat the data accumulated over centuries and millennia so easily. From century to century, people confirm that there is such states and there are such impacts. On different continents, among different nations, everyone describes the same thing, and it totally coincides with what people describe nowadays. If everything coincides, hence everyone is basically talking about the same thing. Of course, yes. Therefore, isn't it kind of unserious to talk about fantasies? 
This, on the contrary, should be understood and treated more seriously. The facts described by people are not fantasies. These are facts. Because what we discuss today, traces of physical impact, is a fact. It's not a fantasy. Although we can often hear the following comment as well. A person just hit himself somewhere and doesn't remember where. How? If a woman says, my whole body is aching so that, a normal grown-up person, she understands what an act of violence is, what a sexual act is, that it can occur in different ways, so she is adequate. For example, injuries of internal organs are recorded when myomas appear in women's bodies. That also exists. No one wants to admit this correlation. They don't want to. Scientists reject physical impacts. But I already said in one of the videos and shared my understanding that psychiatry has actually come face to face with the invisible world. It's really a very severe problem for many people. They don't know how to cope with that. And today, nobody offers them a way out. It's a very tormenting state to be in constant fear. Not simply in fear, but in fear which turns into horror. As we can see, dear friends, there are many opinions, but the truth is one. Our task is to find this truth, and we will certainly do that if we move in this direction together. Therefore, please, join the Shadow Control project. This project is tremendous. It's a global project, and there hasn't been such a project in history yet. It's a real, comprehensive, analytical research of the influence of the invisible world on our lives. This concerns every one of us. So, dear friends, please join our project. Please, send your participation request and stories of your interaction with the invisible world to the email address which you now see at the bottom of the screen. Take care of yourselves, friends. And may Allah protect you all.